You are listening to Sermon Audio from Red Tree Church. For more information about our church or to find more Sermon Audio, visit redtreechurch.com. Good morning, church. If you guys want to make your way back to your seats, we're going to continue our time of worship this morning through the Word. Spirits here. You can feel them. Well, that's just feedback. Am I doing something? All righty. Guys, it's good to be with you today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for suffering through the heat for us today. Don't worry. I uh, only do, I only go about 20 minutes over on the sermon this weekend. Um, I was reminded this morning, I used to, so I used to lead this mission trip back in the day. Um, to a place in Mexico near the border called Matamoros. And we would partner with these uh, four or five local churches around that city and, and serve them in different stuff. And there was this one pastor, a guy named Pastor Manuel, who um, he, he was essentially supported full-time by four or five other churches, local churches around Matamoros. And what he would do is he would go and plant um, these really small little bodies in uh, little church bodies in um, slums outside of Matamoros. And so he had about five different church plants running, and he would um, kind of give oversight and connection and ministry to all of them. And so we would go and spend a couple days just serving Pastor Manuel and going to different churches and areas he was serving. And there is, I, ha- I wish I had a photo of it, but obviously we didn't get here until we got here. But there's this place, the fir- one of the first times I ever got to preach through a, uh, a translator was with Pastor Manuel. This is probably more than a decade ago. Um, and we were at this little place called uh, Iglesia Baptista Emanuel um, in, this, in this slum that was uh, built outside of a trash dump. So the actual city dump from Matamoros, there was a group of people living in the dump and the government came in and kicked them out and they built kind of this tent city just outside on the other side of the fence of the dump. And this was the, this little Emmanuel Baptist Church was the only church ministering to this, this little village. And so um, we went there to hang out and the, pretty much the only permanent building, there were a couple, but one of the only permanent buildings there was this church building. And I say building, it was, it was literally um, built out of trash and, and it was essentially like sheet metal roofing over four posts it is what it was over, I'm going to say gravel in like the not actually gravel, like just chunks of broken concrete, like from road construction, they'd kind of piled underneath this thing. And so we show up, and there's this handmade sign, and this tin roof, and these four posts, and this, you couldn't walk on it, like even hardly in shoes, because it's chunks like bigger than a grapefruit, you know. But this is their, their church space. And we get there, and, and Pastor Manuel just begins to walk through the village and say, hey, we're going to have church in about 20 minutes. We've got a visiting pastor here. And so everyone comes and brings the, it's, it's bring your own chair uh, to, to, this, to this, little, this little lean-to kind of thing. And, and, and we hung out and, and did church there. And, and I got to pre- preach to this church body and we got to hang out with them. I've actually been back to visit them a couple times. But um, one of the craziest experiences of my life in, in terms of ministry was getting to hang out with this church body. Um, and I promise, I promise, promise, I'm not saying this to make you guys 
feel guilty for being uncomfortable today without air conditioning because it's uncomfortable, right? So like that's not what we're going for. But it, it is it was it was such a really stark reminder for me of what actually matters, like why the church actually gathers together. It was like 110 degrees when we were there. And like when you stepped underneath the shade of this thing, it actually, like it got hotter. Like the shade wasn't cooler because the sun was baking down on this metal right above you. And yet this church was so, every time I've been there, I've been there three or four times, so joyful to come together and just sing and worship and pray it, it, it's, it's just such a cool reminder to sit with brothers and sisters in another context, right, who don't experience the same blessings we experience, the same material blessings, and yet are so united with us in the blood of Christ and exhibit such joy and such peace through Christ and not through material possessions and comfort. Like, that's the peace that's so amazing, is, is when we gather together in, in the name of Jesus by the power of his blood for the worship of the one true God, it's not actually material possessions and comforts that draw us together and give our hearts peace. It's actually the finished work and the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? Which is why our brothers and sisters at Emmanuel Baptist Church worship this week in joy and in peace and excitement when it's 120 degrees inside their oven right? It's just, I, I don't know. I just thought that was a good reminder for us this morning. And again, not trying to make you feel guilty because it's like, it's, it's a pain to show up and, and whatever. But, but man, God is so good to us. So today we're in Malachi. If you want to turn over to Malachi chapter three, we're ending out our time in Malachi today, uh, which is really cool. I am stoked uh, that I get to preach this message with you guys. I almost didn't. A lot of you guys know Kim and I are on baby watch right now. And, uh, there was a decent chance I wouldn't be here this morning, but I am, um, and so it's, it's a gift from God. We're in Malachi. We're going to start in chapter 3, verse 16, and we're going to read through the end of the book, if you guys are there. If you don't have a Bible, we have house Bibles in the end of each row. We'd love for you to snag one of those um, and get in here with us. Starting in verse 16 of chapter 3, we read this. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. That day is coming, shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts. So it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. Behold, 
I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And this is the word of the Lord. What a text, right? What a way to end out the book. If you guys haven't been with us, we've been going through Malachi for the last several weeks. And maybe even if you have been with us, it's so easy to to jump into a text like that and kind of your immediate response is, what the heck is going on, <laughs> right? It's, it's so easy when we jump into the Old Testament prophets at a first or a cursory glance to just kind of be confused. But, but I want to tell you guys, like, God is speaking through the prophets. Like, this, this is not just his word. Like, this is a gift to us. You don't have to be a nuclear physicist to engage the Old Testament prophets. Like, there's actually truth and life in all of God's word for us. And so here's what I'd like to do. I'd like for us to take a couple minutes and walk through this text, point out a couple historical things, a couple contextual things, and I think we'll land on something that God actually has for us today, which will bring us to some of Jesus' teaching in Luke, and we'll end out our time in 2 Peter by taking communion together. Sound good? Cool. So, really quick, let's put ourselves back in the context of Malachi. So remember, this is an Old Testament prophet, but this is in the post-exile period. So in terms of Israel's history, what's gone on is this. God freed Israel from slavery uh, from Egypt at the story of Exodus. He moved them to the promised land, gave them their own nation, and gave them a covenant and a relationship with him. They violated that covenant over and over and over, over generation and generation, and God continually sent prophets reminding them, you made this covenant, you are breaking it over and over. If you continue in sin, that will bear consequences for you. But Israel remained in sin, generation after generation after generation, until finally God allowed the consequences of Israel's sin and broken covenant. And Israel was divided into two nations, the northern and southern kingdom, through a civil war. And then the northern nation Israel was destroyed, it was conquered by the Assyrians? Are they first? Assyria, Babylon, Persia? Is that the order? The Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, and then eventually... Uh, Judah fell also, and both the nations were destroyed. The people were scattered. Ten of the tribes were lost, completely dispersed and missing. Uh, no, no longer there, right? All, all that's left is Judah and Benjamin and some of, some of Levi, but they don't really count, right? They didn't have their own land. <laughs> anyway, God, they, uh, Israel experiences God's wrath. Israel as a nation is destroyed so that the people are exiled. And we pick up the story... 70 years later, when the king of Persia now allows some of the Jewish exiles to go back into Judah and rebuild some of their society. So you can read about this in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. You read about God's people returning to Jerusalem, rebuilding the city, rebuilding the temple, and trying to kind of get back to their life as a people. But what we've seen in Malachi is that something is broken in how this is working. God's people have allowed their circumstances to break their theology. I keep saying that when we're in this text, but I want you guys to hear that. It's one of the main themes Malachi is getting at. Israel's suffering, their current 
circumstances, their current experience has broken their theology. They look at their suffering. They look at what Israel looks like now, this conquered people in service to Persia. And they basically say, okay, there's either one of two things going on here. Either God is not actually powerful enough to protect us. Either he's weaker than Persia or he's not actually good. And he doesn't actually love us. Those are the only two options. How else could we have experienced this much injustice and suffering? And so God sends the prophet Malachi to speak to his people in this context. Where they've returned to their land, but they've experienced so much suffering... Their theology is broken. Their connection to God is broken. And what we've seen in the progression of Malachi is that Israel has allowed their circumstances to break their theology, and their broken theology has broken their worship. Once they had an unclear or inaccurate picture of who God was, they basically began to say, what is the point of worshiping God if he's either not good or not powerful? This is a pain. Why would we continue to offer these sacrifices and do all these things if it doesn't do us any good? Is it just like, because that's our cultural heritage? Because that's stupid. So they, they allow their, their circumstances to break their theology. Their broken theology breaks their worship, and then their broken worship breaks their relationship with God. And you begin to see as Malachi progresses that God's people have moved from God must not be good or powerful to what's the point of worshiping him to I don't even like this God. And God actually says in Malachi, he's bringing about these accusations, he says, I, I love you. I've always loved you. I've remained faithful to the covenant, but you hate me. You despise my name. You, you, you desecrate and blaspheme my worship. You ignore me. You rob me. You steal from me. You hate me. And he, and he connects it back to how Israel is engaging in the temple worship in this time. Which, by the way, that's, that's weird to us. There's a little bit of a disconnect. I assume when we, when we go through these that you guys take some time and kind of study this book on your own and include it in your personal reading. And, and, and I know that if you're just sitting reading through Malachi, it's really easy to just kind of get this image where you're like, why does God, the God of the universe, care this much about like what animals are killed at a temple in a city? Like that, that seems so weird for the God of the universe. But you have to remember, when you're reading the Old Testament, you have to read it through the lens of covenant. At Sinai, God made a covenant with his people that established relationship, and it established relationship through worship. God's people were allowed to be connected to him in intimate relationship with him through the temple worship. And if you go back and you actually look at when the temple is built, when the tabernacle for the first version is built, and then when the permanent temple is built, God chooses to put his presence in that place. He chooses to dwell within the Holy of Holies, to have a physical place where his people can come through worship and connect with him and have actual right relationship with him. Like this is, this is how God connects to his people under this covenant, right? And so when they begin to blaspheme and, and defame the temple worship, it's not that God like super cares about what kind of goat. It's that he's going, don't you actually want to be connected to me? Don't you actually want to be with me? 
We just, we just sang these songs, right, about the love of God, about the way he pursues us, about the, the way that he, he chases after us, about how he, he's worthy of who he is. And yet, and yet what, what's happening here is God is saying, you don't, it's, not, it's not that I'm not chasing after you, it's that you don't want to be with me. I've been faithful to the covenant. I've, I've done everything I said I would do. I've been with you. I've loved you. And you just don't want to be with me. There's a way for you to be with me. You can do it, but you don't want to. This is the essential message of Malachi. God brings these accusations over and over and over, saying, I've made a way for us to be connected, to be right, for you to have life and freedom, and you don't want it. Why? Why? And that brings us to our text today. And our text picks up. By the way, God, I I, I actually skipped a section. God God goes after the accusations and he says, it's not going to stay like this. If you you read through kind of the whole of chapter 3, God begins to predict how the new covenant will come about and his final judgment, and the day when everything will be made right, and and righteousness will be rewarded, and sin will be punished, and he will restore all things. He begins to lay this out and be like, I I, I promised you, like, this is not where it'll end. I've made a way for us to be together, and I'm going to fix everything broken in this world, but you don't want to be a part of it. And our text picks up with this group of people who fear the Lord, And they begin to speak amongst themselves, right? And it doesn't tell us exactly what they say, but, and and I don't want to get too technical here, but this is a weird section of Malachi because of some of the phrasing and, and the grammar of it. But essentially, what's implied in this is that this group of people who fear the Lord are speaking amongst each other concerning the accusations God has leveled throughout this book. You despise my name. You rob my temple. You profane my worship. You don't love me. These are the accusations. You, you weary me. He brings these over and over. And it says here, those who fear the Lord spoke with one another and the Lord paid attention. Now this is an interesting image because it's easy to read this on the surface and just kind of assume, okay, well, he's been blasting all the sinful people, but now like all the righteous people are like, dang, God, yeah, you get them. But that's actually not what's being said here. What's being implied in the way this is written is that these these people are discussing the accusations as Israelites, as people under the accusations. See, God brought this accusation against all of his priests and all of his people, but those of his people who fear him, who know him, who love him, listen to the accusations. They're actually honest and self-reflective and go, oof, I have done that. That is true. I have hated you. I have profaned my worship. I have wearied you with my words. I have done those things. What's being implied here is that those who fear God begin to actually engage God's accusations with honesty. Right? They hear what's being said against their people and they own it. 
And it says God notices. He takes notice. Read this passage. This is, this is verse 16. The Lord paid attention and heard them. Man. I just feel like there are some people in the room this morning who are like, that's what you needed to hear. When, when we respond to God's holy expectations with sober, honest self-reflection and confession, God hears that. God notices that. He pays attention. Because some of us have heard the lie from Satan too often that, that your sin has somehow stained you in God's image, that he has a distaste for you. That maybe, maybe through the power of the gospel, like he has to forgive you, but like there is this anger and wrath and distaste and maybe even hatred on you that just makes engaging confession really distasteful and really hard and really painful. But you need to hear, beloved. God hears it. God sees. God pays attention when you come to him with sober and honest confession. And this is a book of remembrance was written. That's not language that strikes us today, but the image there is in these days, kings and rulers would essentially keep a journal of favors if someone did something nice to them and they wanted to remember to bless that person later, they kept a special journal where they would write down, oh, so-and-so did right by me on this day, I should do right by him. And, and they would just keep that journal so that when it came time to divvy out some favors, they could go through it and bless people who'd bless them. You can read about this in the book of Esther. Uh, this happens to Mordecai. He, he saves the king. It's written down in his book of remembrance. Later, the king is reading it and he goes, oh, I never blessed that guy. And he blesses him. It's kind of a thing in that day. But what you need to hear here is that for whatever reason, for whatever reason, God's people simply listening and honestly engaging his accusations somehow strikes God as worthy of being remembered. It strikes him in such a way that he's like, I'm going to hold on to that. That's not going away. I'm going to remember this moment of honesty and confession. That's intense. And he actually says, when I come back, when this purification and this judgment happens, I'm going to remember you. You're mine. You hear that? Verse 17 they shall be mine. I'll save them as a son. Hold on to that image. Because he'll save them like a faithful son. And then he goes on to say, in that day, and this is important, you'll see the difference between righteousness and wickedness. You see, it's really easy when our circumstances seem really intense, when things seem really wrong, when it seems like those who are evil prosper and those who aren't don't. 
It's really, really easy to just go, is this whole, like, is that just like a construct? Like, do we just make up this whole idea of good and evil and it doesn't actually matter? And it's just whoever is lucky and powerful, like they're the person that wins. Like, is that how it works? And God says, no, there actually is good. There actually is evil. And when I come back to fix what is broken in this world, you will know the difference. There will be no question. And then he outlines, he outlines going into chapter 4, I think this is the, the key to this text for us. He outlines something really interesting, really important about his coming judgment, about his return, about his restoration. He says, you'll know the difference between right and wrong when I come back. Because it's going to be intense. And, and everything that is evil and sinful and wrong and part of the curse is going to get burned up like stubble in a furnace. It's going to be gone. I'm going to destroy it. But then look at this. In verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. It's an interesting image, right? It's a piece we miss because, because in, in this day, like kind of in Persian culture, for, for whatever reason, the sun was usually represented with bird's wings on it. And so healing in its, like the image here is like a sun rising like a bird. There's healing in its wings. And the Jewish people actually connected extra meaning to this. And they would, they would talk about the, the hems of your robe as a person's wings. So there's kind of a double meaning here. This is a text that gets quoted in the New Testament. But, but set that aside for a second. Because the image here is he says, when I come back, my, when I am present, passing judgment on this earth, everything that is cursed will be burned up and gone. I will destroy it. But for you, who are mine, that same heat won't be oven heat that burns up stuff. It'll be like the rising sun. It'll be warmth and light and refreshment. The same heat, the same holiness, the same righteousness of God will destroy the curse and bring life and healing to his people. I want you guys to hear that. You see, here's the thing. It's not like God is just like spiteful up in heaven. And he's like, well, you did stuff I don't like on earth. So when I come back, you're going to get yours. A lot of times I think we think of God that way. It's just kind of being petty and vengeful. But here's the reality. He built you and designed you for a purpose. And that purpose is intimacy and connection with him. You were built for that. You were designed to plug into the divine. His image is stamped on you. And, and in Christ, his spirit is pleased to dwell within you. You were built and designed with intimacy with God in mind. And God is perfectly, eternally, forever holy. You were designed to be perfectly and eternally connected to perfection and joy and life and holiness. You are beloved. I use that phrase a lot, but you are the beloved of Jesus. 
He, he longs for you. He cares for you. He loves you in ways you don't know. He loves you with a passion and a ferocity and an energy and, and, and a doggedness that, that we don't comprehend of. You were made for him. But he is holy, eternally perfect and unchanging. And just like the sun, if you try and engage your purpose to be connected with God in the wrong way outside of your design, it will destroy you. You see, for unholiness, for sinfulness, for self-centeredness, to try and connect itself to the perfect, loving, eternal God, it will overwhelm and destroy you. It will burn you up like stubble. Look at, look at when, when the prophets are actually given a vision of God face to face. They panic. Right? Look at when Isaiah sees a vision, not even the reality, when he sees a vision of the throne room of God, he freaks out and assumes that just seeing that vision will kill him because of how holy and righteous God is. See, God built you to connect with him. He built you for eternity with him. But if you refuse in your hard and sinful heart to engage his design for you, it will destroy you. Because God is coming back. And he's going to restore his creation to perfection. And he's going to open the door to real and deep, intimate connection. And if we get to that day, still holding on to our own designs for ourselves, beloved, they will be insufficient. Be insufficient. It'd be like an astronaut jumping on a ship and just driving into the sun. We're going to need more vitamin D. You can't engage the sun outside of the, your design of your connection to it. Your relationship to the sun, when it's healthy and right, actually gives you life, right? You engage it incorrectly. You try and define the terms of the relationship yourself. It will burn you up and destroy you. See, God is coming back. And he's coming back for you. He desires life and redemption and healing for you. But he's God. He's the creator. He's the designer. He defines the relationship. You don't. Which is why this book is so important. Because their theology broke because of their circumstances. They experienced the reality of sin, the reality of the curse, and they let it break their understanding of who God is. They let it break the reality of who God said he is. And all of a sudden, they were seeing God as different than he is. And they began to redefine the terms of the relationship on their own. And God comes back and he says, through the prophet Malachi, you can't do that. It will destroy you. Kill you. You can't do that. You don't get to define this because I'm the one that's eternal. I'm the one that's perfect and holy and I love you dearly. 
come back to me. Come back to me and I will draw near to you. We'll make this thing right. And when I come back, my holiness and my righteousness will not be fearful for you. They will not be destructive for you. They will heal you. If you engage me in humility and repentance and honesty, the way I built you to engage me, then my holiness and righteousness will give you life. Beloved, this is the ministry of Jesus. Jesus came to make life for the unrighteous. He came to define a way for us to be with God, to break the hold of the curse on us, that we might connect with God, that we might experience life and intimacy and, and, and true, true healing with Him. Beloved, you were built for this. Let me say just a couple of things and we'll end out our time. In Luke 15, Jesus tells one of his most famous parables of two sons and their rich dad. And one is faithful and one is faithless. The faithless one betrays the dad and takes his inheritance and squanders it and disrespects and disowns the dad in every way a person can. And the other one stays at home and faithfully works for him. See, Jesus, or God says here through the prophet, I will spare you as a man spares his son who serves him. You see, under the old covenant, there's an expectation of righteousness. That you live in holiness. That if you are the faithful son, you'll receive the faithful son's reward. But Jesus came for us knowing that we are dead in our transgressions that we are so locked into self-centeredness that the evil and destruction and injustice of this world has been so harsh and cruel to our soul that we are stuck and we are dead. And Jesus came and made a way for us to be connected to the Father regardless of how faithless we are. You see, in Jesus' story, the faithful son and the faithless son receive equal access to the Father. He loves and draws and calls them both. Calls them both. Beloved, your God is calling you. Calling you to life and repentance in Him. Not because He's some vindictive, bitter, angry God who who gets really petty about nuances of sin and behavior and ethics, but because He loves you more than you can imagine. And He built you for something greater than what this world has promised you. I know, I know in this room, there are people who, who, have, who have these false narratives playing on repeat in your head of this is what my life's going to be like, good and bad. I'm going to achieve these things. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to get this job. I'm going to date or marry this person. I'm going to get this degree. I'm going to get this much money in my retirement. I'm going to retire at this age. I'm going to move here. I'm going to buy this thing. And then my life will have this kind of peace that my soul needs. 
And there's some of us whose narrative is way worse than that. This has been done to me. This has been done to me. This has been done to me. Those things will never change. My life is miserable. This is what it will be forever. Beloved, those stories are garbage. They're garbage. Your soul was made for so much more than that. You were made for intimate connection to the God of the universe forever. He made you to be with him forever. To have real life and peace and healing and restoration with him forever. What does this world have to say to that? What can be promised to you? What what, what can happen to you? It would say anything against that. What could be better than that? Nothing. You are the beloved of Jesus. I'm going to read this text. Out of 2 Peter. It's in reference to Christ's return. He says this. Now this is the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of a reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of our Lord and Savior through the apostles, knowing that, first of all, scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing, that's what they do, following their own sinful desires, and they will say, where is this promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. The scoffers will come and say, where is this promise of God? Where is this hope? Where is this restoration? Where is this eternity, this so-called Jesus? For they will deliberately overlook the fact that the heavens existed long ago. That the earth was formed out of the water through water by the word of God. That by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. By that same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. Being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this fact, beloved. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but rather he is patient toward you. Not wishing that any would perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved? The heavenly bodies will melt and burn But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Beloved, never let your circumstances break your theology. 
Your God is not weak. He is not incapable. He is not slow to justice. He is not ignorant of the wrongs and the hurts you've experienced. No, he is patient and merciful. Desiring that more might come to him in life and repentance. Even you might come to him in life and repentance. Beloved, don't miss what God is calling you to. Don't miss what you are made for, for a stupid garbage story. Here's what I'd like for us to do. I want to give us a couple minutes to engage our good God in prayer. And you find some space for you to be with God. If you can do that in your seat, that's cool. If you need to get up and move, if you need to, and if you need to pray with one of our pastors, me or Craig, I'm trying to who else is in the room. There's a couple of us here. Come find us. We'd love to pray with you. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a few minutes. I want you to think about our time in Malachi. I want you to think about the hard words that God brought to his people. The hard words that God spoke to you about your own stubborn heart, about your own self-centeredness, about your own small-mindedness. And like those who fear God, I want you to talk honestly about them. Be honest and confessional with your God. Let him see the nasty parts of your heart. I promise you, he won't be surprised. His response will be tender love and mercy. That's what he thinks about you. Let's take a few minutes to pray. If you need to find someone, do that. If you need to get by yourself, do that. If, If you need to pray over the church in this time, you can come do that right now. I'll give us a few minutes and then we'll continue on in our worship. God, you you are who you say you are. You do what you say you're going to do. You are so unlike me. When you say He'll be faithful. You're faithful. When you say that you love, you love. And when you say that you're going to come and restore and judge, you're going to come and restore and judge. And when you say that those who are yours will find joy and freedom and life in that coming. God, I know it is true. Lord, turn our hearts to your faithfulness today. Turn our hearts to your promises today. God, for those of us who feel crunched and crushed, and deceived by circumstances. May you turn us to the truth of your self revealed in your word. May you turn us to the hope of your coming promises. May your steadfastness push through the sifting sands of our 
experience, our circumstances. May we fall on the solid rock of dependence on you. God, for hearts this morning who are hopeless, give us the hope of your love. For hearts this morning that are hardened and deceived, give us the softening love, the truth of your word. God, we just really need you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Redtree Church. Visit redtreechurch.com for more information.